This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Good to see you this morning. If you're a guest, my name's Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel. And you're joining us um, on the, the back end of a series where we have walked through the Ten Commandments. We've chosen to call it When Working Harder Isn't Working because for many of us, when we see a list of rules, our first response is, I can do that. And um, especially when it comes to the Ten Commandments, the, the kind of underlying motivation is, if I do that, then God will love me and then God will bless me. And so what we've been talking about as we work through the Ten Commandments is a couple kind of foundational ideas. First of all, the law is good. God gives us these ten things as a, a reminder of this is what your life should look like when you belong to me, not just individually, but collectively as a community. And when we live in this way, life is better. But what we know from our own experience and experiences in our world is we often fall short of, teaching, of keeping the Ten Commandments in their entirety. When Jesus comes along, he expands the law and shows us that he's not just concerned with our external obedience, but he's actually looking at our internal motivation. He doesn't just want you to do the right things. He wants you to be the right person. So two weeks ago, we saw that uh, very clearly when we talked about the, the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. That's a, a pretty clear one. And for many of us, that's an easy one to keep. But Jesus comes along and says, it's not just about adultery. It's about the lust that is the fuel for the adultery. And at that point, we all quickly realize the law crushes us. We are incapable of keeping it on our own. And he does that with each expression of the Ten Commandments. And, and that's a good thing for us. Because it's in our weakness, it's in this space where we have to finally acknowledge, you know what, not only can I not keep the external requirements of the law, but I'm hopeless to keep the internal requirements. It's in that space that we're ready to look at Jesus as the one who perfectly fulfilled the law for us, not as a role model, but as the one who will become the power that gives us both the desire and the ability to live in a way where we too can naturally fulfill the law. The way Jesus does that is through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us. When he dies for us, he opens the door into this new life for our sins to be forgiven. And by the presence of the Holy Spirit, he gives us the ability to walk into this new life. And so kind of a, a foundational idea that we're, we're keeping in mind each week is from a, a pastor named R.T. Kendall. He says, if we were to walk in the Spirit, we would fulfill the law accidentally, even if we had never heard of the Ten Commandments. And so we want to keep that in mind as we jump into the Eighth Commandment this morning. Now, you might, uh, if you've been here through the whole series, feel like, hey, we made it through the Seventh Commandment. That's the big sticky one that nails us all. And so now we're just going to kind of coast through these last three, right? We made it through adultery and lust, so nothing can be as uncomfortable or as convicting as that. Um, you know, back in the, the winter of, of last year when I was thinking, or winter of this year when I was thinking about this series, I kind of had that same approach of kind of plotting it out and thinking, okay, that, that seventh week, that's the one that, that's really going to fall heavy on us. And, and yet as I start to work through commandments eight, nine, and 10, I see that uh, I'm just as bad at breaking those as I am any of the other ones, especially when Jesus expands it. So this eighth commandment, you shall not steal, seems pretty straightforward and seems pretty easy for us to accomplish. In fact, 90% of evangelical Christians say they do not steal. But in this command, it's not just a command not to take stuff. It's also God teaching us that he cares about our stuff. 
God cares about my stuff. God cares about your stuff. He cares about what I do to your stuff and what you do to my stuff. You see, throughout the Ten Commandments, God's presenting us with a a picture of him as the God of all things, all people, all of the time. He's not coming merely to give us spiritual instruction and then let, what, let us do whatever we want with our physical life, our physical body, our physical existence. But instead, he says, I am the God of your spirit. I'm the God of your body. I'm the God of everything, everywhere. And I care about the way you interact with each other. Now, when it comes to our money, to our property, to our possessions, those may not seem like especially spiritual things. But it's important for us to remember that God has a plan for those because anytime we separate the spiritual and the physical, we get ourselves in trouble and we act in ways that harm others. When it comes to our stuff, we, we know exactly what that looks like. If I think God only cares that I pray, that I read my Bible, that I go to church, then when I go to work on Monday, I'm free to do whatever I want, to, to have as much as I want, to get as big a pile of stuff as I can have. If that's our approach, what we will quickly do is we'll decide on Sunday, I'm a good, holy person that God loves and he's pleased with. And on Monday, I will be ruthless and I will take advantage of anyone and anything to get ahead and to get what I want. And so the eighth commandment is not just God telling you, stop taking things that don't belong to you. It's him telling us, I really care about the way you treat, the way you view your property, your money, your possessions, and the money, property, and possessions of others as well. Now again, do not steal. Most of us, if, if we think of stealing, we think of a thief, we think of a, a robber, we think of somebody who comes and takes something by force. Now, the, the Hebrew word that's translated steal there in Exodus twenty fifteen is one that means to carry something away by stealth. And it covers all forms of taking. Now, again, 90% of evangelical Christians say they do not break the Eighth Commandment. If we went around the room this morning, we'd probably find a similar percentage. 90% of people would say they do not break the Eighth Commandment. And yet if we're honest and, and we take that application of anything we take by stealth, then we have to admit we really are kind of a band of thieves. Theft is theft, even when you don't think the thing that you're stealing matters. Right, so let's just think together about the ways that we, uh, in our current context and culture, are tempted to break the Eighth Commandment. And many of them were tempted to say, as we're breaking the Eighth Commandment, that we're not actually breaking the Eighth Commandment. Right, so you go to work and you clock in with absolutely no intention of working. You're breaking the Eighth Commandment. You, some of you haven't bought an envelope or a paper clip in 25 years since you worked for that company. Right? And, we, and we just think, nah, don't worry about it. It's not, it's not a big deal. You abuse company credit cards. We fudge expense reports, mileage reimbursements. We engage in insurance fraud, unemployment scams. We deceive customers and clients with false promises that this thing will do more than we know it ever could. We hire someone to do a job knowing full well that once they've done the job, we're going to throw a fit and threaten to not pay in an effort to get a better deal than what we had agreed to. We charge exorbitant interest. We borrow with no intention of repaying from friends, family members, banks, and credit cards. We lie to clients about their ability to afford a house, a car, a product. We steal strategies, ideas, products, intellectual property from coworkers and competitors and pass them off as our own. We pirate software, music, and movies. We do... We engage in the the business of casinos, lotteries, other get-rich-quick schemes and scams that are just formalized and institutionalized 
theft. And all the while, we proudly proclaim, we do not break the Eighth Commandment. Martin Luther wrote 500 years ago about the Eighth Commandment. He looked at his world. He did a similar analysis. And he said, if we were to hang all the thieves, where will we get enough rope? I think we could say the same thing about our culture as well today. When we really begin to apply that idea of not just stealing, it's not that you boosted somebody's car from a parking lot last night, right? It's not that you kicked in their front door and hauled off their TV. It's not that you pickpocketed the guy uh, that you saw at the store the other day. But any form of taking by stealth, any form of this isn't technically mine, but I don't think anyone will care, so I'm just going to make it mine, all of that falls under this commandment, you shall not steal. And so when we get to that point, we, we have to acknowledge we are a band of thieves. And Jesus' solution to that is not just to come to us and say, hey, stop it. Right? Don't do that anymore. Now, he, he does say that to us, but he also gives us a couple tools that will transform our hearts because that's what he's after. Right? If he only cared about our behavior, then he would simply say, stop stealing. But he's after our hearts. And so Jesus does a couple things that we're going to look at this morning. The first is he begins to teach us the difference between stewardship and ownership. And as we understand that difference, it, it, it changes the way we view the Eighth Commandment. Philip um, Riken is the president of Wheaton University. He says, what the Bible means by ownership is not possessing things to use for our own purposes, but receiving things from God to use for his glory. So at the same time, we are forbidden to take things that don't belong to us. We are required to use what we have in ways that are pleasing to our God. To put it very simply, the eighth commandment isn't just about stealing. It's also about stewardship. Now, stewardship is one of those words that if you've grown up in church, you you get it, you understand it. And if not, maybe you don't. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells us a story to help us understand what it means to be a steward. He tells the story of a wealthy businessman who's going away on a trip, but before he leaves, he calls three of his servants together and distributes a little bit of his wealth to each one of them. So the first servant, he gives five bags of gold, and while the master is gone, that servant goes and turns that into five more bags of gold. To the second servant, he gives two bags of gold, and while the master's gone, he gets it and turns it into two more bags of gold. And to the third servant, he gives one bag of gold, and because that servant is wicked or lazy or some combination of both, he goes and buries the gold in the ground, and when the master comes back, he says, here's your one bag of gold. And so Jesus tells us this story, and there are all kinds of principles and applications that we can draw out from it, but what I want us to think about this morning is what it teaches us about stewardship. Because in each of those situations, the master gave one five, one two, one, he gave one bag of gold. Each one did something with it. Those who did good things with it shared in their master's reward and in his happiness. The one who was lazy with it, it was taken away and he was punished for it. But the the overarching lesson of that entire story is that the whole time, the gold belonged to the master. It was five bags, it was two bags, it was one bag. Regardless of the amount, when he put it in the hands of the servant, it never stopped being his. 
When they took it and they put it to work, it was still his money that was at work. When they took it and they doubled it, it was still his money that was doubled. When the one took it and buried it in the ground, it was still his money that was buried. And when he returned, he didn't say, give me your gold, show me what you've done, right? But it's, this has been mine the whole time. It's mine when it went to work. And now that it's doubled, it's still mine. So give it to me. This is stewardship and understanding that everything we have in life actually belongs to God. He is the only owner. Now, if, if we don't get it from that, we understand it from our experiences with our own parents. Right? I, I remember as a teenager, my dad um, helping me understand that as long as I lived in his house, I owned nothing and was a steward of everything. And I would object sometimes, right? I remember being 16 years old and I had worked hard and I had bought my car and he was threatening to ground me from my car. And so in the way that only a 16-year-old can, I told him, you can't ground me from that. I bought it. It's mine. And he jumped straight into, you live in my house. You eat my food. I pay for the gas. I pay for the insurance. You park it in my driveway. You wear the clothes. Unless you're prepared to live naked in that car, (laughs) it's my car. And I hated that answer. Hated it and had nothing to say. It shut me down every time. And as much as I hated it as a child, I love it even more as a parent, right? Like my my kids have this Xbox that their uncles gave them because I'm not buying them for it, right? And so their their uncles gave it to them. And occasionally I'll tell them like, hey, get your homework done or I'll I'll take that back. And, And I think each of them one time have told me, you can't take that. It was a present. Like, it is my electricity. You play it under my roof while wearing the clothes that I bought for you. Your belly's full of the food. That, unless you're ready to play it naked without electricity and a hungry belly, it's my Xbox. Right? And, and so we, this is stewardship. It's living with an awareness that, yeah, it's, it's not, even what is mine isn't mine. So what Jesus is telling us, and, and what Jesus wants us to do is move from a position of, I own this and I'm holding tightly to it, and no one else can ever have it, to a more open-handed way of living where I understand everything I have is a gift from God. Everything I have is just passing through my hands. I came into the world with nothing. I will leave the world with nothing. And so my primary job with my money, with my property, with my possessions is to steward them in ways that bring honor and glory to Jesus. And and that is a a pretty good thing, and most of us will agree, yes, I want to live that way. And when we embrace that view of stewardship, it begins to take away the temptation to steal and to take what isn't ours. Because as a steward, my primary job is to be responsible with what God has put into my hands. The the guy with the two bags of gold, he could have sat there and thought, why didn't I get five? I got two and he got five. I'm going to take one when he's not looking. Then he'll have four and I'll have three. But he didn't. Instead, he just, he went and he put it to work. And when you embrace stewardship, you will embrace a lifestyle of saying, God, I trust that you've put in my hands what I can handle. And so I'll put it to work. And as I focus my energy and my time on putting my stuff to work, I don't have as much time or energy to be worried or tempted by what God has placed in your hand. So stewardship begins to lay the the groundwork for grinding out the greed and the materialism and the selfishness from our hearts. 
Now, if we want to be like the lazy servant, we're going to say, God gave me this. I don't appreciate it. I'm going to bury it in a hole. And now I'm going to spend my time trying to take what he's given to other people. But Jesus is trying to help us understand Stewardship is the new ownership, and when you embrace that, it will make it easier for you to live a generous lifestyle. So if Jesus had left it at stewardship, I'd be okay with it, most of you would be okay with it too, but he doesn't. He takes it and pushes it one step even farther than that and says, as a steward, you live with open hands, and now your job is to live generously. And not your, not your American, I've budgeted a certain percentage to give and be generous, but an open-handed generosity where you're willing to give of those who ask from you, even to those that you don't like. He tells us this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Okay, so this passage is normally used uh, when we're talking about retribution, how we respond when we're wronged, those types of things. I think the application is, is equally valid when we start to talk about what it looks like to live a generous life. Okay, so, so the law says, do not steal what is not yours. Jesus says, give away what is yours. And we're, we're just simply not wired to do that. We're okay with the requirement of the law. You don't steal my stuff, and I won't steal your stuff, and we'll all get along just fine. But if you come for my stuff, you better watch out, because there's going to be hell to pay. Right? I, I had one of the, the sweetest, kindest, most Christian grandmas in the world. She would literally sew dresses for orphans in Bangladesh. Right? I mean, that, she was just, you picture a Christian grandma, that was her. And I don't remember how we got on this topic of conversation, but we were at her farm out in western Oklahoma when I was little once, and, and we started talking about what do you do if someone breaks into your house? And my sweet little Christian grandma said, you shoot them through the front door and drag them in the living room so that when the cops come, you can't get in trouble. And then she probably went back to like baking pumpkin pies or something. It's just kind of like... But I remember being old enough to be like, Grandma, but there's going to be a hole in the door going to the outside, right? Like, I hadn't even watched CSI at this point in my life, but I understood the, the logistics of a bullet goes and it blows out a door. Like, Grandma, what? She's like, honey, we live in the country. The cops don't really care. You just got to drag them inside. <laughs> okay, now my grandma never did that. Uh, yeah, I also never went to her house after dark and knocked on the front door because, you know, but... But here she, she modeled, and, and she was mostly joking, I think, um, but it's, it's an idea that most of us have. My stuff is worth more than your life, and I'm fine that you don't steal from me, I won't steal from you. This is what Jesus is trying to get us away from. It's why he uses such extreme language. He says, if somebody comes to sue you, and they're going to take your shirt away from you, just go ahead and give them your coat as well. If they're going to come and force you to go one mile with them, just go ahead and go two miles with them as well. And in doing so, you're taking away their power. You're removing the seeds of of anger, of pride, of greed, of materialism from your heart. And you're just saying, you know what? It's not a big deal. 
I'm a steward. You need it. You take it. That's fine. Here you go. He's beginning to teach us something that we see uh, laid out again and again through his teachings in the rest of the New Testament, that Christian people are generous people. To be Christian should be synonymous with being generous. And there is really no such thing in the scriptures as a stingy Christian. There's only generous people. And so generous people know that we've been blessed to be a blessing. That God has not blessed me so I can accumulate as much stuff as possible and then hide it away and hoard it away and not let anyone else come near to it. But Jesus tells us, no, you've been blessed so that you can be part of meeting the needs of others in the world. And when you're part of meeting the needs of others, you make it easier for them to not break the eighth commandment. They don't need to steal from you at night what you will gladly give to them during the day. So he begins to set this this new model of generosity and, and he pushes us in ways that, if we're honest, make us really uncomfortable and maybe even a little angry at times. He says, give to the one who asks you. Generous people know that when you give to people in need, you are part of God's blessing in the world. And yet, for many of us, our response is give to the one who asks you if they ask in an appropriate way at an appropriate time when you are feeling particularly generous and you've already paid all of your other bills. The rest of the time we read that as when you see the person coming to ask you, turn and walk the other way. All right, now, a couple years ago, I think I've told some of you this story before. I was at Quick Trip over here at 81st and Memorial It was in the spring and one of those kind of nice spring Oklahoma days. And so I had the windows down in the car. My boys were with me. We were coming to the church for some event, but I needed to get gas. So I stopped, get out of my car, put the credit card in, start pumping the gas. And this guy at the pump behind me walks up and says, hey, man, gives me this whole story about how he's broke and doesn't have any money. And he's just trying to get back home and uh, wants to know if I will give him some gas money. So so I'm there, and Jesus says, give to the one who asks you. And my first response is, how can I get out of this without it costing me more than five or ten bucks? And so, but the windows are down in my car, you know, so I'm not going to say that because my boys are there, and they're watching. And so I said, yeah, man, I'd I'd be happy to help you out a little bit. How about if I put about $10 of of gas into your car? And it's like, oh man, could you do more? I really got a long way to go. I said, well, let's just do 10 and you know, maybe, maybe some other people will come along and three or four people down the road, you'll have a full tank. And so he's, he says, okay. So I go over and I put my card in his pump and I, he starts pumping the gas and we start talking. He tells me more of his story. And then he says, hey man, what do you do for a living? <sighs> Windows are down in my car. I can't lie in front of my son's. Right? I work for the IRS. What's your name? Uh, like, that's what I want to say, but I can't. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. He's got the windows down in his car. He's got a guy sitting in the front seat, leans in the window. We got a pastor! God has seen us and provided for our needs. He could have sent anyone, but he sent a pastor. And he and I both knew right then he's getting a full tank of gas. Right? Not because I want to, but because I've been shamed into it now. And so I, I, I do. He gets the full tank of gas. We drive away. And, and my, you know, just kind of this, like, it, it should be this good 
learning experience for my sons of, hey, God provides for us and we have enough and so we can give and help others. And the whole time I'm just thinking, I am a horrible person. I, I just wanted to give as little as I possibly could to get away from there as quick as I possibly could. And Jesus is telling us, look, just give to the one who asks you. And then he, he pushes it even more than that. says it's not just about your money. It's also about your stuff. If someone asks to borrow from you, give to them too. Now, a couple years ago, I heard a guy preaching on this passage, and he made a statement that, that caught my attention and has really stuck with me ever since. He said, and for him, in his life, he recognized that the hold of his possessions was always stronger than the hold of his money on his heart. And so for him, that the problem he had with this passage was not give to the one who asked, because he would happily give money away. It was the give to the one who asked to borrow, because then he had to give his stuff away and let them use it. So he said, it, as he recognized that, he adopted a, a new policy where he was not going to buy anything that he wouldn't let someone else borrow. So if he was car shopping and something really caught his eye, the first question he would ask was, would I let someone else drive this car? And if the answer was no, he'd walk away from it. If he and his wife were looking for a house, would we let someone else stay in this house if we were gone for an extended period of time? If the answer was no, they walked away from it. And he applied it down to his most simple possessions, you know, the, the gadgets, the toys, the other things, the clothes. Would I let someone borrow this? And if the answer was no, he walked away from it. Now, for a lot of us, that is, is going to be far more challenging because you, you have the car that no one else is allowed to drive, right? And, and I'm not telling you that, that that's sinful, but what I'm telling you is sometimes Jesus sends people into our life to ask us for things just to show us how tightly that thing is holding on to our heart. And anytime I refuse to let someone borrow something that's really valuable to me, it's showing me that that place now has undue influence on me. And now, now there are, there's some common sense that has to go along here, right? Somebody has to borrow your spouse. The answer is always no, right? We covered that in the seventh commandment. Stop it, move on, have a nice day, right? 13-year-old, you want to borrow my car later? The answer is no, right? You want to borrow my toothbrush? No, but here's a dollar and you can buy your own, right? So, so there, there's common sense things there, but, but think about that for a moment. If you have the car, the truck that no one else can drive, the boat that no one can ride in, the house that no one can come in, right? I, after first service, some people were telling me things that I never thought you would care about, right? Like, I'm not a musician. One lady said, I have a piano that no one's allowed to play. I thought, oh, if I had a piano, no one would play it either. But so I don't, I don't see it though from the same perspective she does, you know? Or like a, a, a stand mixer that no one else is allowed to use. I, that would never occur to me. I don't understand how a stand mixer has such a strong hold on your heart. But if you won't loan it out, get rid of it and go back to the old handheld one. You'll be just fine. You're not the pioneer woman anyways, right? So just, just do it and it'll be okay. I don't get it, but there's stuff, right? So for me, I, I've taken that idea and applied it. Like I won't buy a gun that someone else can't shoot. I won't buy a little gadget that someone else can't borrow. I won't buy a TV that no one else can watch. I won't buy furniture that no one can sit on. Some of you grew up in that home, right? The couch that no one was allowed to sit on. What's the point of that, mom? Jesus said to give when they ask. So I want to sit 
It, it doesn't matter, right? So anyways, it's, it's just this Jesus is expanding it, and he eventually expands it to the point where it's going to nail every single one of us. Right? If you drill down far enough, you're going to find something you don't want to give away. You're going to find something you don't want to let someone else borrow. And it's in that space that Jesus comes and says, hey, let me take that. And let me bring freedom to that area. And sometimes that means you're getting rid of the stuff. Sometimes it means you're just letting, you're, you're letting the Holy Spirit get rid of the hold that it has on you. But this is the way Jesus expands the law for us. It brings us to the point where we all have to acknowledge yeah, I'm not there yet. And if you are there yet, you should thank God for it because you're there by the power of his Holy Spirit working in you, not through your own efforts and not through your own righteousness. Paul goes on to, to lay out for us in Ephesians 4 exactly what this looks like in the context of a local church. What's it look like for us to keep the eighth commandment, for us to embrace stewardship, and for us to live generously? And he, he makes it very plain for us. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So a, a couple points here. First of all, Paul assumes that the Christian church will always have thieves in it, right? Because we're supposed to be light in darkness. We're supposed to be introducing people to Jesus. And when people don't know Jesus, they act in sinful ways. And so people are coming to the church in Ephesus from a lifestyle that has been defined by stealing. And so his first message is, if you're stealing, stop it. Don't do it anymore. That's not how we act as individuals. That's not how we treat each other in our community. We stop it. And so maybe this morning, that's God's message for you. You're engaged in taking something by stealth. Maybe it's big, maybe it's small. Maybe you've done it for decades. Maybe you've done it so long, you've convinced yourself it's acceptable. And the message of the Holy Spirit to you this morning is if you're stealing, stop it. But it doesn't stop there. Paul also says if you're stealing, stop it and go to work and do something useful with your hands. The expectation for followers of Christ is not just that we don't steal from others, but we steward what God has placed in our hands. We put it to work and we reap the benefits of our work. So it's fine for you to make money. It's fine for you to have possessions, to own the home, to own the car. Those are all great things, but don't let your possessions possess you. And that's what he tells us with the last part of that. You're going to stop stealing. You're going to go to work so that you can do something useful so that you have something to give to those in need. As Christians, our generosity will be best expressed not by what we do for our friends and family members, but what we do for those in need with those with whom we don't have a strong relationship. Are we willing to give to those who will never give back to us? Right? Because in doing so, we are part of reordering the world in the image of Christ. As we live generously, we point others to the God who gives himself generously to us. Right? The, the call to live generous is really a call that's beyond any one of us. And we can be disciplined and we can kind of schedule a little bit of generosity into our hearts and into our lives, but we're never going to fully and finally do it on our own. We're always going to, to be held captive just a little bit by our greed, by our materialism, by our jealous eye that looks at what God has given to someone else and thinks, well, they don't need all that. Maybe I can take some of it. 
It's only through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us that we can begin to live with an open hand and open heart and live generous before the Lord. This morning, we're going to receive communion in just a moment. As we receive communion, it's a reminder to us that we come to Jesus empty-handed. We come with nothing to offer, with no ability to pay him back to earn what he's done for us. In the same way, our ability to live generously rests entirely in Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can transform my heart. He's the only one that can change the moment I'm at the gas station and the guy says, hey man, can you help me? From a, oh no, what have I gotten into? To an absolutely, yes, I can. I'm not gonna get there on my own. I can fake it, but it won't be authentic. The only way I can learn to see the needs of the world as a wonderful opportunity for me is if the Holy Spirit comes and gives me both the desire and the ability to live generously. So as we receive the the bread and the cup this morning, this is what it's reminding us of. That we come empty-handed to Jesus. And he comes, he offers himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He offers himself the one who perfectly fulfilled the law on our behalf. And he now offers us a way whereby the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, we can walk in his new life. So as the ushers come and distribute those elements to us, as you have to put everything down, right? You got to put down your phone. You got to put down your pen, put down your paper. You've got to adjust the way you're sitting. So you're ready to receive the bread and the cup. Let those physical actions be a reminder to you of the same way you will become a generous person. As you lay everything down and come to Jesus with open hands saying, will you do for me what I could never do for myself? And maybe this morning your your struggle is not to live generously, your struggle is to stop stealing. Even in that space, Jesus doesn't come with condemnation. He comes with forgiveness. And so as you lay down those behaviors, as you lay down those attitudes, as you lay down all the brokenness in your heart that that plays itself out in these arenas, the response of Christ is to extend his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness to you once again. So may you consider these things as we hold the bread and the cup in our hands. As we do, the band's going to lead us in a song, and then I'll come back in a moment we'll receive it together. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.